But one of the things that I wanted to get across in the whole close phase is, you know, a sales engineer needs to sort of collect those experiences and the stories and the comments uh, that are told and sort of do a handoff to the sales leader, right? To say, well, this is what happened. Like there was some emotion at, uh, around this feature, like it really grabbed their attention or this didn't really go as well as we wanted. And here's why. So that, you know, you can have that closure meeting to sort of say, well, here's how the POC ran and here are the experiences and the feedback and sometimes the metrics. Welcome to Presales Heroes from Vivin, the world's first platform for presales. Today I'm talking to Tony Matos, Director of Sales Engineering at Citrix, who just published his first book, The Essential Guide to Navigate Your Proof of Concept. Tony shares great insights on both the strategy and tactics of a POC, and I also love his thoughts on why a proof of concept should really be thought of by the presales team as purchase order coming. Hi, I'm Greg Howard, and I'm talking to Tony Matos, Director of Sales Engineering at Citrix author of The Essential Guide to Navigating Your Proof of Concept. Tony, thanks for joining us on the show today. Well, thank you, Greg. It's a pleasure being on your podcast. How's, uh, how's, how's uh, life in Toronto right now? Uh, life is good. We are experiencing uh, you know, one of those nice, uh, warm, temperate falls. The leaves are brilliant with color, crisp air. So for us, it's a fantastic fall. So uh, as, a, as, a, as a Californian, in particular San Francisco, I have no idea what you mean by the word fall, but it sounds amazing. It, it can be. It, it'll change quickly. So I'll enjoy these uh, sunny days while they last. Tony, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about your book. I read it and thought it was fantastic. And we'll, we'll get right into it. But first, we, we want to start as we always do. Uh, with your hero origin story. So you're the director of sales engineering at Citrix. You're running a team. How'd you get into that line of work originally? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great story. I had to go back in the memory banks over that. But, uh, you know, before being in a pre-sales role, I actually worked as a IT analyst in a financial services organization. And uh, that was uh, that was good. But I actually was fortunate to build up some relationships with uh, some folks at a software company, Business Objects. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and I got intrigued by sort of the nature of the people that I was working with uh, when we were evaluating their software. And uh, my curiosity led me to a career. So building some good relationships and uh, being curious about a role. And uh, yeah, therefore, I had someone who took a chance on me and, and gave, sort of let me break into uh, the industry. I've, I've really appreciated that and enjoyed my career. Well, we, we appreciate, I mean, I think I speak for everybody. We appreciate when people contribute to the profession and provide you know, best practices and foundations to help guide others because there's not a ton of that out there right now. And your book, The Essential Guide to Navigating Your Proof of Concept, I thought was, you know, was phenomenal in that regard. Uh, I'd love to just sort of talk about, you know, honestly, why you wrote it. I mean, I think you, you make a funny point in the book. You say that writing it was more labor than labor of love, which which I think most writers would agree with. You don't write because you like it. You write because you kind of have to. Um, right. or something you just had to get out there. I'd love to hear just kind of in your own words what that was. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that out that there isn't, um, I, in my opinion, and there's an, enough content in there for our profession. You know, I, I sort of, that line came to me because I realized sort of in the middle of it, it's like I really wasn't having fun writing it because it, writing is a hard process. The reason I sort of wrote that is, you know, I, 
I'm writing to a, a very articulate, technical, savvy audience, right? And so you, you want to make sure that what you're writing is uh, beneficial and it's contributing to that profession because, you know, there's a lot of great practices and people out there and you want to make sure that it, it contributes, you know, to, to that community. All to say there was a lot of editing and uh, is this the right sentence? Do I have enough? Do I have too little? And that's sort of where that whole, you know, labor of love or labor versus labor of love came through. I'm glad I was able to complete it. And hopefully it resonates out with the uh, pre-sales community. I, I would imagine like like most authors, I'm pretty sure this is your first first book, first time author. It is, yeah. Some, some dark, um, sh- you know, dark nights of the soul when you wonder if you're ever going to finish it. There were, there were indeed. Yeah. So <laughs> it's good, good to have some people behind you and, uh, you know, giving you some perspective and, uh, it, it really does take a community to, to get content like it, this out. So I don't want to, I don't want to psychoanalyze, but I think also people write about what they're obsessed with. And so I would, I say on some level, you're probably maybe if not obsessed with POCs, you certainly thought a lot about it in your career and you manage a team at Citrix. So what what is it about the way pre-sales teams and leadership approaches POCs that you thought were widely misunderstood that made you want to write the book? I would say that it really started uh, with my own experiences, right? If we had time, I'd tell you the funny story about my first presentation and first week and month. And uh, you could imagine, you know, moving from uh, one career into another, you don't always come with all of the skills and uh uh, acumen that you want, right? So, uh, a lot of a lot of this uh, focus on proof of concepts came because you know fundamentally I made mistakes early in uh, in my career. Now, thankfully, I had people uh, in my corner who who uh, pointed me in the right direction. And um, the second element was uh, I just happened to be with organizations where proof of concepts was not not the primary way of selling, but it was something that was used enough that you sort of had to be sharp with it, right? So across the uh, three or four organizations that I've worked with, it's always been a very prominent uh, practice, something that's very important to actually uh, winning deals. You know, when something like that, when you make a few mistakes and you want to improve and, you know, it becomes part of sort of, you know, an element of success in terms of your role, you, you sort of want to get good at it. And over time, i built a point of view and some practices. And I thought, oh, I should start putting this down on paper. Do I have enough for a book as it were? And one thing led to another. And today we, today we have a book on it. Yeah. And just kind of peeling back the, you know, the actual uh, thesis you have around it, just think about the mistakes that you you say you've made and the way other people do it. Is it, is it fair to say that one of the myths that you're trying to dispel is that it's you can't you shouldn't go into a POC without a framework and a process that you should definitely not just wing it. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, going back to my own experiences, right? I mean, I would say probably the more painful proof of concepts I've had was when I I did wing it, right? So I made an assumption that a POC was like all the other ones that I did. I I, I didn't show respect to the customer and sort of like get into their situation, right? And to, uh, and again, making a whole bunch of assumptions, right? Well, you know, the outcome of that, I think you can guess what that is. It was not good for the customer and wasn't good for me. You know, I think it's really important that you approach each POC like with a fresh view, right? Because although you might be working with customers that are very similar, the reason that they approach a POC, the motivation, 
Sometimes they're asked to do a POC and so on. So you, you got you to gotta come at it like really fresh and sort of with a blank blank page each time. They're not all the same and you can't approach them all the same. That, Correct. That, uh, th- there's a line in the book I wanted to kind of tease out and talk about with you because I, I just loved it, which is that you t- say that the sales engineer should think of the acronym POC as purchase order coming, which right. I actually thought was a really important theme for the entire book. Can you can you talk about why you said that and how that kind of informs your view of the POC? Yeah, you know that I really have to benefit some of the account uh, executives that I've worked with, uh, especially early on in my career to to say, Tony, you know, as, as technically adept as as you might be or are, right? You've also got to consider, you know, the sales strategy and the context of what we're trying to uh, to do, right? So, you know, unfortunately, having the best technology solution doesn't always get you the technical win, whether it's in a, you know, a POC outside of that. So I've always been challenged by some of the leading sales people that I've worked with to think of the broader picture. And one of the other things that sort of comes with that is, you know, thinking of what, what's the bigger outcome, right? If we were to just look at a proof of concept, just sort of um, with a, a circle around it, that was just about the sales engineer, you know, the, the, the ultimate outcome is for a sales engineer to get that technical win, right? We've, we've asked all the right questions. We've conducted the right exercise with a, a customer and hey, our solution came out on top as it were, right? Getting that technical win. But I, I actually think that getting the technical win isn't the ultimate outcome. The ultimate outcome is to get the purchase order, right? Mm-hmm. You can't get the purchase order without getting the technical win. But is it really a win if, if all you get is the technical win, as it were, right? So what, what I'm really trying to do is I had to push myself and, in a sense, sort of stretch the team to think, like, your ultimate goal and all you do is to get the purchase order, right? That That's truly the win. So that's what I was trying to get across is, is not just focused on the technology, as important as that is, but also looking at the bigger pictures. Like, what, what can we do from a relationship perspective, obviously from a technical perspective, and just other aspects of dealing with the customer that sort of gives them confidence about, I want to do business with this team. I want to do business with this company. And so that's why I put out that phrase, purchase order coming because I want to I want to have a sense of there's a larger objective here than just getting the technical win. I mean I just love the idea of the of push the pre-sales team to think strategically and about the entire sale but I'm I'm forced to ask the question it's it's amazing that you've been told to do this by uh, sales executives because you would typically think that what you're talking about is more in the domain of the of the account rep. Why do you think that it's powerful for the pre-sales team to be thinking that way as well. Well, that's a great that's a great question. I mean, I I get asked this quite a bit, even even in my current role. You know, when I look at uh, the title that I have, it just happens to be sales engineer. Not happens to be it is sales engineer, right? And I, and I just think that when I look at where I've had, I guess, the most success and also enjoyment is when. When there's a little bit more balance between the engineering word and the focus I put on the engineering side of my role, yeah, and and but I also put focus and I'm concerned about the sales part of the role, right? You know, if we go back in time, there there was a time when we might stereotype pre-sales professional or a sales engineer as a a demo jockey. We don't we don't use that word, and we know that that's not true, right? But there's an element where maybe it's not necessarily a practice with our organizations, but sometimes maybe 
some of us hold that mentality as, well, I'm just doing the demo. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> you're part of a you're part of a sales process. So one of the things I I challenge the team on and, and have them think about is there's lots of things that we're accountable for on the sales engineering side, right? And we can list those off. So proof of concepts and RFPs and discovery and and demonstrations. And those are all things that we have to do well as pre-sales professionals. But I also think there's another list where we can have a lot of awareness of the broader aspects. So for example, are we aware of the budget? And do we know if there's access to funds and people? Do we know what the uh, the actual need is that a customer is asking me and what the timing is for a purchase. And I think those are all important elements that that a sales engineer should also know about to sort of inform in the context of a POC. It's like, well, I could do the POC, but if they're only buying three or four quarters from now, is this the best time to invest uh, myself in this? Or should I take another strategy and sort of you know entertain this later, as it were, right? Does that make sense, Greg? In terms of it, it makes it makes an incredible amount of sense. I, yeah. I feel like the 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 best pre sales leaders are doing exactly what you're talking about. It's not that the technical chops don't matter, but the sales piece of the title is as important as the engineering part. And yeah, getting pre sales at that table is it just lifts up the whole organization. I, I believe so. I, I think it's really. I, I don't think we're asking sales engineers to leave behind the things that we want them to be right. And you know, there's a great big. A bucket of hey, we want you to know the solution in, inside and out, right? We want you to be able to talk to a customer about its value and how it integrates and does it work in a particular way, right? But I also think that these days things are changing so much that we have to express and tell a story about our solution that's also about the value and primarily from a, a business perspective. And that's sort of where we edge away from, you know, having this stereotypical where the technical person <laughs> on the team, right, to having a broader appreciation of, of uh, other aspects of the sale and, and the business context to which we're, we're speaking into. So we, we talked about the fact that one of the points of view of the book is uh, don't treat every POC the same. But at the same time, you also make it very clear, don't wing it, have a process. And one of the things I really liked about your book, that it wasn't, there were some great theoretical pieces in it, but it was also very actionable. It, was, it, it, had, it had tactics. It was like, here's the thing you do. And I wonder if you could talk about some of the fundamentals that you actually include in the book. People can just take back to the office or the virtual office and, and do right away. Like yeah. your, you know, for example, your qualification for it, which I thought was great. Yeah, there's actually a, a few things that I've uh, benefited from just interacting with other pre-sales leaders. And part of this was trying to distill it down. And so a few things that I mentioned in the book, there is that pre-sales, sort of that qualification form uh, in there. And there's three things. There's a qualification form. I actually have something that I refer to as the POC agreement template and also the key findings meeting. And, and the reason I I have sort of those artifacts or or tools available is I think that it's good to have some guidelines about how you're going to approach things. So for example, POC agreement template is, you know, a fairly simple and straightforward collection of basically things that you're wanting to know about, right? So what's the business context? What are the success metrics? Who's going to be involved? Who are the decision makers? And and what's the timeline that we're going to do that? And I think having tools like this help help both the customer and actually the sales engineer and the sales team, right? So I think it shows a level of respect and, and professionalism to a customer if we can come 
with them and say, you know what, we've got a series of things that we know are important for you to know and for us to know so that when we enter into this piece of work, which is going to take time for both of us to be engaged in, right? So let's clarify, you know, sort of what's the context, you know, what, how far do we go with this? Are we testing one thing or a hundred things, right? And so having these tools where we can clarify things, where we can have an understanding so that assumptions aren't made or expectations are left out are really important. And as I've put this out and people have played with it, you know, it's like people, people know that these things are good, right? Sometimes they just need a simple template. So actually, Greg, one of the things I'm hoping for is that whether they use this template, maybe I'll get some feedback about some other great processes and approaches, right? Because I, in a sense, I sort of want to, I don't know if the right word is crowdsource, but, you know, get, get other input to see how else can we improve this, right? To sort of get a, get a really crisp understanding and practice out there around these things. And it seems like one of the things you're avoiding is the, the motion where the POC just becomes a way for the rep to kind of continue the conversation, but there's no qualification. There's exactly. no ask on the part of the on the, on the prospect and it, it actually becomes quite fruitless. Yes. Uh, and, and by doing this, like you're saying, it actually not only shows respect, but it also forces the prospect to have some skin in the game to give you something in exchange for this thing that's going to cause a lot, uh, cost a lot of time and resources. Yeah. The, the qualification form, I would say, has probably the most impact uh, to the sales team. The, the one thing you want to do is you want to be aligned as a sales team about what your position is regarding uh, proof of concept, especially if they if a customer sort of pulling you into it, say, well, it's a requirement or it's something we have to do, or we can't make a decision without going through this. And all those are valid, valid reasons, right? But I, I think where, you know, going back to my experiences, where some of the proof of concepts that I ran went a little bit uh, astray is, you know, I, I sometimes I ran ahead of my sales leader, right? And I didn't always check in with them. And it's like, hey, Tony, you know what, slow, slow down a bit, right? Or, or vice versa, right? You know, the, these are just things that naturally happen, right? So so the form is really meant to just be, as it were, a pause. Just give us a moment, take a few breaths, collect what we know, and say, okay, w- w- what's our next step? You know, what don't we know, right? And, and where do we sort of sit with this before we say yes too quickly to a proof of concept? So having having obviously done some POCs that you look back on with a little bit of regret, as well as crystallize your thoughts in, in this book... I'm curious if you could just wave a magic wand and eliminate certain types or certain practices around POCs from all of humanity, what what would they be? Not setting up a proof of concept so it can magically turn into an implementation because I just think there's so much that can go wrong. I think one of the other phrases that I used in there is, you know, a POC is, a, is an illustration, right? And I and I really struggled with what word I was going to use. And I and the best I could come up with, it, it's an illustration. It, it's not really the real world, but it's close enough that a customer can say, hey, I understand what's going on here. I, I'm, I feel less risk right now, and, and I sort of have a better appreciation. But it's truly not the implementation, right? So that would be, that would be one thing I would uh, stray away from. And, and Tony, by that, do you mean that you're you're setting up the POC to solve a particular use case and to create ideal conditions of the prospect's environment around that, as opposed to trying to actually implement the entire product into the environment as you would for an ongoing engagement? Yeah, definitely. 
Definitely. And that, and that's why, you know, whether, whether it's sort of the process that I laid out in my book or whatever process, I mean, I think one of the, of all the things that you could come to agreement on with a customer is, you know, what's the success criteria? Like, what are the things that if we check them off, give you a, a passing mark as it were, right? Or, or a great mark, because it, it's difficult for most solutions these days for a customer to have the time and the bandwidth and the capacity to, to test all the features. And, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, I, I focus a little bit as well on understanding sort of the business context, uh, even before we get to sort of the technical stuff. So the success criteria tends to deal with, does this feature or capability reside in your product and does it work the way we want or expect to, right? And sort of knowing the the business context is, is really important because if you know the business context, what's going on, then when you come to the success criteria, I think what I found is a customer may ask for 20 items, but if you understand the business change that they want to implement in the future, you can say, well, I know you've got a list of 20, but if that's your primary issue, is that the thing you want to change or enable most in your organization, that really only brings us down to like five features as it were, right? And then you can have this collaborative dialogue which says, you know what, if we show you those five features, it's not about just enough. Is is that really what gets you across the line or the finish line, as it were? That's, that's such a great point, because instead of sales and this SE team choke on trying to show the value of 30 features, you've narrowed it down to the ones that are actually going to drive the purchase, and that's going to tee everybody up for success. So Exactly. That- you know, from a sales perspective, right, we, we all want an opportunity to have the shortest period of time so we can get to that critical discussion about, hey, you know, do we have your business, right? I, I also think you know, having been the benefit of uh, being a customer when I was on the IT side of things, you know, just like us, everybody's busy. And I, I really don't think that customers want to have long cycles as well in terms of making the decision because we're one of maybe a dozen projects that they have on the go as well, right? So I think also crystallizing this to a set of criteria that a customer can sort of say, yeah, I can make this justification. I can go for budget. This addresses our needs and more. I think that that's also beneficial to the customer as well, right? So I tend to favor really short POCs for everyone's benefit. Absolutely. That's a a favor of the customer as well as of the organization. Exactly. And really liked your content on on closing a POC, how to to end it uh, since we're talking about making them short and sweet. You call it art as much of a science. Maybe you can talk about a little bit what, what you mean there and how you think you should close a POC. Yeah, the the close, I mean, I've got a four part process that I follow, you know, the qualification, defining the POC, executing it, of course, and then the whole close. And and again, the, the whole close thing is was really important to me because it goes to some of the other themes that we've been talking about, like purchase order coming, right? And again, I, I noticed based on some feedback, and again, experiences, right, that I, I felt that at times, the sales engineer sort of didn't do that right handoff from the point where they had completed the POC, maybe they've gotten the technical nod from the customer and so on, right? But then there's still a whole period of time and a whole phase, which is, well, how is it that we that we tell a story around what happened in the proof of concept? Because so many things sort of happen behind the scenes, as it were, right? Like you're setting up equipment or you're, you know, you're establishing a, you know, a cloud environment or what have you. And a lot of things are sort of done and nobody ever really sees it, right? And so 
uh, one of the things that I wanted to get across in the whole close phase is, you know, a sales engineer needs to sort of collect those experiences and the stories and the comments uh, that are told and sort of do a handoff to the sales leader, right? To say, well, this is what happened. Like there was some emotion at, uh, around this feature, like it really grabbed their attention or this didn't really go as well as we wanted. And here's why. So that, you know, you can have that closure meeting to sort of say, well, here's how the POC ran and here are the experiences and the feedback and sometimes the metrics. But one of the other things I've noticed was that in telling that story, I think it becomes important to tell it as a story and not do um, a deep dive technical uh, review, as it were. That's really interesting. You're basically talking about the sales engineer telling a story about the story that they just had or the experience they just had, yeah, but not the technical details necessarily, but also the emotions involved. So he's he or she is teeing up their sales partner to have the real closing meeting. That, that's right, because you know uh, sometimes I've had in that closing meeting, I've had people who I didn't really interact with directly in the POC, so that person would be in the room. But maybe there's a, you know, a manager of a manager in the room, right? Like people that are removed or people is like, I don't even know why that person's in here, right? You know, to go through the technical details, my POC contact, as it were, right, would get it. But I got to tell them a story that sort of draws them in, you know, so here, here's, here's why this is going to impact your business. You, you wanted this business change or process change, right? That should be the thing that you start with because most likely your POC contact has is already sold, as it were. So you're, you're sort of preaching to the choir, but then there are other people that have to be involved in the purchase and, and approvals and so on, and they need to hear the story from a slightly different angle. Those are great points. I love the emphasis on storytelling as a way to, to kind of, to, to end the POC. Uh, yeah. That's, that's not something that I think people talk about enough. Tony, I think you've, uh, now that you've excited everybody with the content of the book, Tell me, uh, where where does one go to buy it? Yeah, well, th- thanks for asking. Um, it is available on uh, Amazon. So again, the book is called The Essential Guide to Navigate Your Proof of Concept, and it's available in Kindle and uh, print format. Uh, as well, I've set up a little site for some feedback and also some other articles that and content that unfortunately didn't make the book. And that website is uh, pocessentials.com. You know, when you write a book, it could have been a lot longer. Let's put it this way, Greg. So uh, I've actually uh, created a couple of uh, other eBooks and just some other shorter blogs just just to create some um, content and collaboration with a broader pre-sales community out there. One final question for you, Tony, because you mentioned this in writing the book. I thought it was interesting. You wrote the book during the pandemic. What was that like? Therapeutic. You know, there are lots of things that, uh, like everyone needed my attention, right? We all had family and coworkers and teams to look after. I, I didn't necessarily plan for it to occur, but it sort of started. And once I started and then the pandemic hit, I thought, well, you know what, maybe I should just continue writing through this. And yeah, it was, uh, it was challenging at times, but I think it sort of helped me distract myself uh, at times from uh, what was going on. So. Is it the near best experience to actually have it finished the book and have it out into the world or at least in the top five of your life? <laughs> you know, a lot of people have been really kind and it's like, wow, you wrote a book, right? And sort of when you look back on it, you think, uh, you know, you, you appreciate the comments. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's a personal accomplishment. It's just something that uh, I never thought I would do. And, you know, I appreciated all the great feedback that I've gotten from folks. I've got some other people in my life encourage me for uh, uh, another book and I'm not 
sure about that yet. I, I need a little <laughs> bit of a, of a break. So uh, take, take a break, but then, yeah, you, you may find you, you're forced to riot just like you were the first one. Exactly. Um, exactly. The Essential Guide to Navigate Your POC. Uh, you can also find out more information at PS, pocessentials.com. Tony, fantastic talking to you. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to Pre-Sales Heroes. Greg, it was uh, great being on your podcast and really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you.